What's good, everyone? Before we start the episode, I want to share with you a unique financial strategy that savvy docs are using to purchase real estate. Now, even if you are starting with single family homes, or you might even be in the big leagues trying to get 20, 50, or even 100 unit complexes, this strategy might be for you. Other benefits are it can help you grow your wealth tax free, and it also protects you from the bad guys. I'm talking about the creditors and the lawsuits. Now, I took the time to learn about how this strategy works, and I think it can help you optimize your investing also. I want you to check out moneyinsights.net forward slash Darko and click on the investment optimizer link to learn more. What's good, everyone? Dr. Nee here. So we're going to bring back the Darko real estate series. We haven't put out an episode recently, mainly because we hit a low. And what that means is you know, we've hit a couple of potholes along the process of trying to get our six-unit property in Pennsylvania. Stay tuned for future episodes. We're going to go through all of that, right? We put in an offer. We're going through the process of getting it solidified and actually going through the process of closing. So in a future episode or episodes, excuse me, we're going to be talking about all of that process. Today, we're going to be talking about what it's like to get into the real estate game but not doing it the traditional way, like going into it and renting it to someone for a year or two years or however long, but doing it with short-term rentals. So what I mean by that is like doing it through Airbnbs, where you rent to someone or rent to multiple people for maybe a day, two days, a week, maybe even longer than that. But we call that short-term rentals. The guest that I'm going to have on the show, his name is Dr. David Jorginas. He's doing over six figures with the two properties that he has in Dallas, Texas. Now, you may have heard Dr. David's name before. He is host of the podcast, Doctors Unbound. Make sure you go out and subscribe to that. But he's on the show today to talk about how he's really been killing it within the world of Airbnb and short-term rentals, mainly because he did a lot of investigation of regular traditional renting and found that it really wasn't for him, right? It's really important when we're talking about traditional and non-traditional ways that we know all the different options and opportunities that are out there. So this is a way to expose you all to what else is out there. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. Mainly, we're going to talk about how he's killing it. We're going to talk about why you should be getting into the Airbnb game. And we'll go from there. All right. Tell me what you think. Obviously, I'm always about feedback. And let's get on with this interview. Let's get it. All right. So we are on. So Dr. David, how you doing? Welcome to Docs Outside the Box. How you doing, man? Hey, Nee, it's a pleasure to get on your show. I've been listening for a very long time and I'm excited to get on the podcast, share a little bit about what I'm doing and yeah, have a good time just chatting and sharing with our audience things that we've been up to. Man, it's always good talking to people who have their own podcast. So for the audience members who don't know, which shouldn't be that many, you have a really popular podcast called Doctors Unbound where you're talking to doctors who are doing things outside of medicine. And you've been doing that roughly, what, now? three years now, right? Yeah, almost like two and a half, something like that. Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. And I wanted to reach out to you because I know that you've been on other podcasts and you've also been in a summit talking about you know, Airbnb, talking mm-hmm. about rentals. And for my audience who are mainly, the majority of the audience is mainly in you know, that 28 to like 45 age group, these are either early med students or people who are finishing med school, going into residency, and maybe even possibly young attendings. You know, we're trying to change the mindset from them being, you know, consumers to being owners, 
right? And it's never too early to start. So I thought like, look, man, let's get you on the show so you can kind of teach them about your process, how you've been able to kind of start this process of using Airbnb to kind of help build your rental empire, so to speak. Let's do this. You down? Yeah, it's exciting. I'm glad that I still make it a little bit into that demographic. For the people that are listening, man, this is going to be great stuff because there's some of the stuff I wish that I knew earlier on into my career. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Take action when you learn and you just go from there. Yo, I mean, to be honest with you, like us Gen Xers, particularly the Gen Xers who are like towards really close to 1980, right? Like, yeah, like we got screwed in all of this, right? Because (laughs) the way how I look at it, like everyone, you know, who is younger than us, technology didn't come very natural to them. But for us, you know, technology got introduced to us, like probably in our teens, preteens, but it just wasn't there in terms of connectivity and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. So now everybody's talking about web 2.0 and so forth, and it's just taken off. We're still in the web 1.0 years and stuff. It's like the millennials get all the benefits from the tech. Meanwhile, us nerds. Yeah. I remember being called a nerd. I remember like trying to connect with AOL back in the day when in its early days. And now everybody obviously is using all these little cool things to keep in touch with each other. But yeah, I'm sorry. I took us off track. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's all good. It brings back memory. I can remember college and having like a Telnet email address before AOL hit and thinking that was the coolest thing because nobody else knew what email was. And then, you know, here we are. It's crazy. It was crazy. Crazy, 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 man. I even remember, I mean, I left my parents' house and we had a 14.4K, you know, bought modem. And like the concept of having a connection always on was like crazy to me. I was like, wait, I can always get on the internet. I don't have to like dial up or anything like that. And mm-hmm. that's, it's nuts, man. With you now, you are obviously building your empire one by one with Airbnb. I want to know, like most of the time when you hear people who are talking about rental property, the last thing that you're really hearing about is Airbnb. So tell us why you started with Airbnb and uh, let's just take it from there. So before I was doing Airbnb, you know, I was interested in real estate and we weren't doing it. I always had an interest in real estate probably comes from my family. My parents or an immigrant family came to this country with nothing, worked very hard, just had a massive savings. And Where are they from? Romania. Oh, so really? my, wow. So my dad was a pastor in communist Romania and escaped that in like the 70s. Took two years to get my mom and what was then, you know, his family here, which was my two older sisters. And then myself and my younger brother were born here in the States. Yeah, that's how, you know, we were able to get over is it just escaping communism, religious persecution, all that kind of stuff over there. But anyway, that's kind of our background. And, you know, growing up with, I would say probably lower middle class, we never, you know, didn't have any food on the table, but there certainly weren't any excesses. You kind of could feel it. You were not getting the fanciest shoes. You were not getting any extra stuff. If you went to McDonald's, it was like, that was a treat, you know, because you were eating at home all the time. (laughs) That's what it was like. But I remember my parents saving up as much as they could and then buying like a rental property. And, you know, and that was always their idea is that, you know, if they had a rental property that could provide for them when they would eventually be able to pay it off when they would hit retirement and stuff like that. How old do you remember like that first property that they got? How old were you? Gosh, I was probably like grade school stuff when they were, you know, even dabbling and stuff. You know, that was back before I had no idea of anything, had no idea what a mortgage was. I just knew that they were very conservative, would never carry a credit card balance, just very, very tight with money and just trying to be very conservative. So kind of having that idea of real estate and rentals, we had a rental, we had a long-term rental and thinking about ways to make myself financially free as I got older, as I finished residency, 
finally started getting an attending salary. I was like, I need to figure out what to do with this attending salary and not blow it, so to speak. Um, I have not gotten one yet. I'm not going to wade into that debate because I know some people, you know, they have their toys and they have the things that they're willing to splurge on. And I'm not here to judge anybody. Um, but it's just come not, on, Dr. David. This is a judgment. This is what we all we do here is judge. <laughs> come on now. <laughs> I'm teasing, man. You know, it's funny because I bought a CRV and I was like, spend like 30 grand negotiated for like a couple of weeks to try and get the lowest price I could. And I felt guilty about buying a new CRV, which is kind of weird because in my mind, I was thinking, I'm taking away from money that I could be investing in real estate. So, anyways, that's my mentality. So, I'd had a long term rental and you know, even when you buy a long-term rental the right way, you know, it follows the 1% rule, which for those who might not know, if a property, if you're going to buy it for $100,000, let's say, you want to make sure that it rents for about $1,000 a month. And if it meets that criteria, then you're probably going to buy it in a proper manner and it could probably cash flow for you. Well, you're going to buy it with 20 or 25% down. By the time you pay your mortgage, your insurance, all of your expenses, you're probably going to be left with a couple hundred dollars, if that, a month. And I was starting to do the math. I was starting to do the math and thinking to myself, how many properties do I need to get the kind of cash flow that I would want that could potentially replace my income and and have me be close to retirement? And when I was doing the math, I was like, well, I don't think I'm super greedy, but I probably need 20, 30, 50 homes, something like that. And the idea of managing such a big rental portfolio, it's doable. Some people do it, but it's not something that I wanted to do. And then I started reading and learning. What was your holdup? If you don't mind me asking, what was the holdup? Just the structure of it to have to manage and manage the managers and set up like, do I set up 30 or 50 LLCs? Are they going to be serious? Just the structure, the, the asset protection and everything involved. I felt like for me, and again, for others, that may be fine. To me, it was just too many moving pieces. And I felt like it would probably be just another job that I didn't want. I started learning about short-term rentals. I love to read. I love to hear about technology. I was reading about the gig economy, the share economy. And I got really intrigued about short-term rentals and all the different flavors that goes with it. And as I started to read more, I started realizing that you could get some really outsized cash flows with short-term rentals. Yes, there may be, you know, it's a different type of beast. There's ongoing management, if you will, of the guests and of the property. But instead of cash flowing a couple hundred bucks a month, you might be cash flowing a couple thousand dollars a month. And I was like, Uh, well, are you serious? Oh, yeah. And so I was thinking to myself, well, now I can hit those financial retirement goals instead of taking 20 or 50 properties. Now I can do it in three to five properties, maybe depending on the properties that I bought. So that basically like the price is higher, the price is higher per month or per day. Yeah. um, So you short term rentals compared to like a long term, like a regular tenant landlord type relationship. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like you're renting that home per day on a daily basis. And obviously, you have the home furnished. So there's other expenses that go in there. You're carrying the utilities and things like that. But you're charging a daily rate similar to what a hotel would be charging. And probably depending on your property, you've got a five bedroom house, you're going to charge more than a typical hotel room, because obviously, you're offering a lot more, you're offering a kitchen, you're offering a complete home, able to house more guests. To give you an example, one of our homes will rent, let's say the lower end home will rent anywhere from $150 to $500 a night, depending. We have software that determines... $150 to what? To $500 a night. Damn. Wow. Okay. All right. Wow. 
Yeah. So that's kind of a really great opportunity to like make some really good profit. Right. And then the other house will be twice that. And so what? Yeah. The, the high end home, the luxury home will be twice that. Now it depends. Some nights will be a little bit less. Yes. Some of those nights will be a little bit less, but depending on some of the busier nights, the weekends, it'll be a little bit more. Our high end luxury home during COVID, we rented it for as low as about 400 a night. And the most I've rented it for on a, there's an event in town weekend was 1200 a night. And all that was done through, through software. And sometimes I override the software if I know there's a particular event in town and I know that I can get more. Wow. 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 So, okay. So now I see why this is a lot more for you, a lot more Mm. interesting, definitely a lot more lucrative. So let's take a step back. So once you were doing this research in your mind, obviously at the point you didn't have any properties Mm -hmm. or did you have a property at all at this point? I did have a property. Um, I picked up a property actually here locally. We were, I don't know if you want to go down this rabbit hole, but basically we initially thought we were going to do some residential assisted living with that property. We were thinking we were going to do that because my in-laws had some background in that. My wife had some background in that. And we thought, hey, this is a great thing to provide for the community. And we were on our way to building that business, but that is a very time and effort intensive business. In order to do it legally and correctly, you have to have the home inspected, state certified, and all those things are important. I mean, if you're going to take care of seniors, there should be some safeguards in place and make sure that you're doing the right thing. But anyways, we were going down that path and it was just very intensive. And I could see the toll it was taking on my wife because she was managing it. We just had our third kid. You know how it is with small kids, man. They can take up a lot of your time. And I can One see that. enough, two is 20. And I can imagine <laughs> three. It's just zone defense. Yeah, it's, it's zone defense. And you're trying to build a business. And we were doing it. It was slow and methodical. We were building it. But I could see the toll that was taken. And we just sat down and we just had a conversation. And I said to her, we'll be fine if we don't do this. Because she felt like she was going to fail the family. We weren't going to do this anymore. I told her, we're going to be fine. We bought this property correctly. What I meant by that is when I purchased a property, I want to make sure that I can do a long-term rental and still cash flow. So even though I want to do short-term rental, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to do my calculations up front to see that if for some reason I ever want to change the model, can I still do a long-term rental and at least break even if not make that $100, $200 a month and be okay? And if I can do that, then I've set myself up in such a way where I've minimized a lot of the risks of real estate. Okay. To bring things kind of back to where they were, we sat down and it was kind of like a weight was lifted off our shoulders. And I said, look, I've been learning about this short-term rental thing. I think it's really intriguing. I had started playing with the software called AirDNA, AirDNA.co, and they will give you a ton of data and analytics specific to your market. Because I live in a suburb of North Dallas, and I didn't think that there would be a market for this in a suburb. I thought, well, maybe if you're in the middle of a big city, maybe if I was in the middle of Dallas, maybe if I'm on the beach or the mountain somewhere. Well, guess what? There's a pretty big market for it in our kind of suburb type town. Once I found that out, I talked to my wife and initially she's like, so we're going to let other people like live in our house? (laughs) And so there's a little bit of skepticism at the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) There's a little bit of skepticism at first. But the other thing was like she was used to managing the residential assisted living, which if you can imagine having seniors in your house 24-7, being responsible, yeah, being responsible for their eating, for their activities of daily living, if anybody fell. So going from that to like short-term rentals, like she thought was cake. She was like, oh man. Oh, wait, cake. hold on. Let's go back, go back. I thought, <laughs> so wait, you're responsible. You were responsible for the health of these residents? So it's really interesting because 
you are not considered as providing any medical care, right? Like it's not like I was using my physician license or anything like that. Anybody can own one of these homes because you are helping people with activities of daily living. But you can imagine you have seniors, some of whom may have dementia, whatnot, like they cannot take care of themselves. That's why their families or, or whomever bring them to these homes. And so you're responsible, like if they need help transferring in and out of bed, you provide it. You provide the three square meals a day. You're basically, you know, a babysitter, if Your you will. Wife is doing all of this. And we were bootstrapping this business, right? So it was- Now I get it. Now we get it. Okay, yeah. So it was my wife and, and my- <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So we were bootstrapping this other business and my in-laws and my wife were like, because you know how it is, you got one or two residents. If you are going to have, you know, people there day and night, like that's a lot of money that's going to be going out. So we were bootstrapping all this. And at the same time, trying to go through all the licensure and everything to do it appropriately. And it kind of wears you out, you know, especially when you got three kids at home. So we switched models. And I think that's a point here that's very important. We were willing to do this. We took the risk to do this. We did some things to, you know, mitigate those risks with the buying of the property. And you know what? Like when we hit a point where we realized that it just wasn't working for us, we did a pivot. You know, we did a pivot that wasn't planned. And I'm so glad that we did because we pivoted to Airbnb to short term rentals. And we realized that that was our sweet spot. And it wasn't the same level of intensity, obviously, as, you know, residential assisted living. And you can still get some really amazing returns like we talked about earlier. So when did you know, like, okay, we hit it? Like, was it after the first month or did it take a little bit longer than that to be like, you know, we're hitting? Airbnb, how did you know or how long did it take you both to realize, okay, this is hitting, like we're moving, how long? Right, so it wasn't too much longer after that. And in fact, to give you the timeline, we started like, let's say January and we had purchased our second property by Labor Day of that same year. We didn't even go through a full year cycle. We were able to see kind of like, okay, this is working. You know, we saw what kind of returns we were getting every month saw what kind of work was involved. And then you kind of get into a groove like this whole time, like my wife is, you know, takes all the credit for the operation side because she was running it and she was doing a very good job. And I was like in the background, like furiously reading everything I could about Airbnb and the technology that goes on top of it and just very fascinated. There's actually so many different technologies and companies that are built on top of short-term rental business that to me, that was very fascinating. So I was just reading everything I could get my hands on I think I mentioned to you earlier, we had a property in Los Angeles. I trained out there. I used to live out there. And we were using it as a long-term rental. And I'd had some equity in the property because the market had kind of appreciated again. But because of how steep my HOA fees were every year at that property, it was taking away all of my cash flow. So I was managing this property it wasn't super difficult to manage, but there's still some stuff involved. You're still going to get some phone calls. And at the end of the year, they'll say, like, I was maybe just barely doing better than breaking even. And I thought to myself, we now understand this short-term rental game. I had been studying my market quite a bit. And I realized that there was one home in my market, which was what I would call a luxury property. And I started studying it. I studied their calendar. It was actually being managed by a professional management company. I called up the management company and I got information from... They, they actually volunteered a lot of information 
about how well the property was doing. And I thought to myself, I could do something that is similar or better. And actually, my thought was that I could do something better because I found some weaknesses in that particular property that I felt that I could address. And so that's how we bought our second property, which is what I would deem a luxury property. And we sold the condo in LA. And we did what's called a 1031 exchange. And so when you do a 1031 exchange, this is for investment properties. And in order not to pay capital gains on that investment property, you have a certain window of time to buy a what they would call a like kind property. So you have like, I think it's like 45 days to sort of identify it and then up to, I want to say 180 days to actually purchase it. But don't quote me on those numbers, but they're roughly close. And so we were very fortunate because, you know, we sold. And we found this property that we were going to do this luxury short-term rental within like a month span. And so we took the equity that we had in that property, transferred it over, and that was the down payment and everything for this property. And then started rolling with this other property. And this property, I think I talked about this one in the summit, this property in its first full year, gross revenue over six figures. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, what's the biggest difference between doing something on Airbnb versus a regular landlord-tenant relationship? Is it the same thing or are there major differences? Yeah, so there's a lot of major differences. And again, some of it will be state-specific, but you do not have a landlord-tenant relationship when somebody is in your Airbnb. And actually, when you're a tenant, you have certain rights as a tenant And depending on the state, those rights could be really robust versus other states. So you don't deal with that when you're in a short-term rental. And that's actually very important because you can imagine you have a really nice Airbnb and somebody comes in and they book for two days and then they decide that they don't want to pay, but they want to live there for however long, right? And we've heard all those like stories. We don't know if they're true or not. So kind of break it down for us. So it'll be forever broke. (laughs) So technically, like if you were in a long term rental situation, you'd have to file an eviction and go through a very rigorous process for all that. Technically, if you're in a short term rental, you are not a tenant. It's kind of like if you were in a hotel and you didn't pay, right? It's similar to that. So very, very different relationship, I think, in the eyes of the law, and also in what you do, you know, you were providing these completely furnished homes. So It's a different model because you have to tend to those furnishings, make sure everything looks nice. Rigorous cleaning in between, yes. And in the age of Corona, that is even more important. But one thing that has, like if this is a pro tip for anybody who's listening out there, one of the big reasons why our properties have been so successful is because they are meticulously clean. And that is because we have an excellent cleaning crew. We pay them well because we want them to be happy and we want to retain them. And then my wife is the quality control behind it. And as great as they are, she'll roll by and be like, ah, a little bit here, a little bit there. So having meticulous cleanliness is... Well, people who move in, they pay attention. You know, Oh yeah, I do Airbnbs when I go on locums and I pay attention to other things. Mm -hmm. And we've been on the other side too. We've been guests too. And I remember one time we went to visit some family in California and we booked a nice Airbnb by the beach, paid a pretty hefty sum because we were close to the beach. And then we got there, it was being managed by one of these national property management companies. I won't say the name, but we got there and it was just really dirty. And that was such a big turnoff. And we called them and then it was hard to get somebody in. You know, they offered another cleaning the next day, but by then, you know, we had already handled it. But it's very important 
have a very clean unit. That's like, you know, I teach people, you got to build your team and part of your Airbnb team, like the number one person on that team is your cleaner or your cleaners. Very important. Hey docs, if you're a real estate investor, or even if you're aspiring to become one, then you know one of the biggest challenges is finding the best way to save for that initial down payment. And then after that, figuring out where to park money between deals. That's why it's so important to build an opportunity fund. In other words, you need a place to efficiently save money for that perfect investment property. In my experience, most people just end up using a savings or checking account to keep money liquid, but we all know banks ain't given no interest and there's absolutely no tax benefits. So here's the deal. I've recently learned about a solution to this problem. In fact, hundreds of savvy docs right now have already turned to this strategy from the folks at Money Insights. They call it the investment optimizer, and it grows your money tax-free at a compounding rate without volatility. And it protects your money from creditors and lawsuits. Make sure to check out the investment optimizer video at moneyinsights.net forward slash Darko. Or you can text the keyword Darko to 31996. You know, it seems to me almost, you know, obviously I don't have Airbnb, but just experiencing being a guest in Airbnb business and a little bit of some reading, like it seems like if you are doing Airbnb, like this is mainly the hospitality business, right? Mm -hmm. You're trying to make your guests as happy as possible, as opposed to like a tenant relationship, which is you just trying to make sure that you have something that is livable, something that they can obviously that is respectably uh, kept up. But right. in terms of comparing that to Airbnb, it's like, you got to make sure the towels are clean. You got to make sure there's enough soap in the dispenser. You got to make sure that, you know, there's enough coffee mix in the coffee machine and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So it's like a different mindset than a regular tenant landlord relationship. Absolutely. You hit on all those things. All those things have to be kept up and also your communication with your guests, right? communicating with them beforehand, answering any questions that they have. And then if once they check in, if they have any questions, you know, answering those as well. Now, after you do this for a while, you either build templates because a lot of the questions are going to be the same. There's actually, you know, some companies that all they do or not all they do, but one big thing they do is like templates for messaging to save you time. You know, and that's something that you can do without paying for the technology. You can save message templates on your smartphone or what have you. But that's a big part of it is communicating with your guests. So right now you have two properties, one in Dallas and another one in Los Angeles, correct? No. So we sold the one in LA, but we purchased near us here in North Dallas. So they're both about within 10 minutes of my property. Now, some people will do this long-term and, you know, I've been reading a lot about strategies to do it long-term because even though I'm looking locally, my next property may not be locally and it might be in a completely different market. So there are strategies to building your team to do this remotely. So that's very doable. But for these two properties, we did it locally. Mm. Okay. So because my thinking, and I'm thinking like as if I was just coming out of fellowship and I'm a young attending and I want to do something like this. I want to own a property and I want to do Airbnb. The thing that I get nervous about is just like all those calls or, you know, not being there when they need me and so forth. So have you, as a couple, have you created a system that's automated or do you use property management to help in these situations? So we don't use property management at this point. We may decide to change that in the future. Who knows? But what I have found is that if you have the right team members in place, then like it's not that big a deal. And I, 
I talked about this just recently. Like we tend to internalize, like if something goes wrong and invariably something will go wrong. Like we've had issues with HVAC, for example. Well, you know, part of our team is we have an HVAC company and I even have one or two people as backups. So when that call comes in, I think my tendency and probably a lot of physicians is like, oh man, I screwed up or I did something wrong. Well, no, that's just life. It happens. Number one, you communicate with the guests and you let them know that you're on top of it. And then number two is you make that phone call or that text to your team member who's going to take care of that. And we deal largely in the higher end market. When you're dealing with the higher end market, your guests are going to be professionals. I'll give you an example. It was a hot day and we had the AC go out at one of the properties. And we communicated with the guests. We let them know we're on top of it. We sent our HVAC guy over there and he went and took a look and he's like, this is not a repair that I can do within hours. He was going to have to order some parts and he was going to have to come back. We communicated with the guests. We let them know like, hey, we're really sorry. This is what's happening. We tried to offer them something in addition, which was at that time, our luxury property was not being booked. It was open. And so we offered them to upgrade them to that property. So we're trying to problem solve. So we offered them something extra. And it was funny because there was like two or three older couples and we've got video cameras on the exterior of our property. So we could see them going and checking out that other property, but then they decided to stay where they were at. Really? Yeah. They just like, we don't want to move our stuff. We're comfortable here. And at that point we knew that, okay, this is going to get fixed like the next day. So we met with them, we talked to them, we apologized. And they said, look, like we have rentals ourselves and we understand that stuff breaks down. Like we appreciate that you're being proactive and aggressive in fixing this. So we went through their stay. I forget how long they stayed, five days or something. At the end of their stay, they asked my wife if we have any properties in Florida because they were vacationing in Florida next and they wanted to stay with us. Oh, wow. Okay. So that tells you something, right? Mm -hmm. Because we tend to internalize everything. And I was like, are these people going to give us a bad review? Like, what's going to happen? And the fact that we were just proactive in working to solve their problems and coming up with solutions, they appreciated that because they were professionals themselves. And it didn't matter to them that the AC broke down as much as the way that we responded. And they would want to stay with us again. So is that the worst story you have? I hope it is. But if you have something worse than this, tell us. Any police come by, anything get trashed? Come on now. Okay, so I'll give you two answers. Number one, we knock on wood or knock on something. We have not had any crazy stories like that. And part of it is because we play in the higher ed. Mm, So there's a couple of things that we have done. And this can be a couple of tips for people who are getting started. Number one, you cannot book my property if you're not, I believe, 30 years of age. It might be 28, 30 Really? Years I didn't know you can get that in depth with Airbnb, really. We write it in there. So you cannot book the property unless you're like 30 years of age. We have minimums. So we typically have three-day minimums on our property. And again, I use a software with dynamic pricing. And within that dynamic pricing, I can adjust the minimum stay. So if you're going to book, I'm giving away some secrets here, but If you're going to book within like, let's say two weeks, it'll drop it down to a two-day minimum. But at the very least, you're going to book my property for two days. And like I said, they're at the higher end. So you're very rarely going to book my luxury house for under a grand. It's going to cost you 
at least one to two grand, especially by the time Airbnb puts their fees in and all that kind of stuff. So we found that having those things in place helps deter a lot of the people who are just looking for a party house. So that's number one. Number two, I don't know if you've heard, I think it was last fall, Airbnb took a lot of flack because there was a party, I think it was in California, and somebody got shot and I believe died at one of these properties. And it was all over the news and it made you know a lot of bad headlines for Airbnb. And I do believe that Airbnb has implemented some things on their end as far as like algorithms that might detect when a booking might you know, be a party or something like that. And I'll give you the example that just happened to us not too long ago. We had somebody booking locally, and this is another pearl. So when somebody books locally, a little antenna goes up, like why is somebody local booking? Now, it could be a reasonable reason, but when somebody books locally and it's last minute, now you're wondering about a party, especially for a larger home. So we had somebody contact us. They did an instant book. They contacted us and they said, hey, you know, they contacted us like Friday afternoon and they're wanting to book the house for like Saturday and Sunday. And it was really interesting. They said, hey, I work for such and such sports marketing agency. I've got a couple Cowboys players and their families coming into town and I want to book your place. And so we live near the Cowboys training facility and headquarters. And so the draft had just happened and that seemed, that seemed reasonable, you know? So that happened. My wife's antenna went off. She's like, you know, I don't feel good about this. We allowed them to book, but she had kind of like a sixth sense about it. I was like, I thought it would be fine. Well, we wake up the next morning and Airbnb had not only canceled the reservation, they had deplatformed the user. Oh, wow. Okay. I had never seen that happen before. And so Airbnb, something happened on their side, their algorithm which they decided there's something fishy about this booking. So interestingly enough, Airbnb tries to prevent you from getting each other's phone numbers until after the booking. Well, because the booking had originally happened, this guest was texting my wife the next morning. She's like, hey, I still want to book the property. Like, you know, how are we going to do it? Like off platform. And my wife's like, you know what? Yeah, once you start mentioning off platform, mm -mm, there's no protections anymore. So check this out. Now, another person who was a friend inquires through Airbnb wanting to book the house like now for like the same day. And it was interesting because this person was like, I'm the owner of the sports marketing, blah, blah, blah. And they were continuing with the same story. And we were just like, you know what? This is too fishy. So I started doing a little sleuthing because now you've got the names of the people. And like I started doing a little bit of digging. You know, I like sports. And so like they had mentioned the name of the sports marketing agency and I actually looked them up because I was familiar with it. Well, they weren't based in Dallas. They were based in Baltimore. I actually looked at all of the people who they represented, the players that they had represented because they sent out tweets, you know, about, hey, you know, such and such is going to the Bills, such and such person's going to the Broncos. There were no Cowboys that they were representing Mm. that had just been drafted. Gotcha. And they had one player on the Cowboys that they were representing, who was like somebody I'd never heard of. So I was like, and then I looked up their profiles and there was nothing about sports. Got you. Got you. I was like, Oh, I should have done a little bit more digging beforehand. So I think we averted a potential disaster there that in like two and a half years, that's probably like the closest that we've gotten to, you know, having a bad experience, you know, and it was averted actually by Airbnb initially. So they've done a lot of not good things for hosts with this whole Corona pandemic. But I have to give them credit that in this situation, I think they smelled out what would have been a party. 
So let's focus on that young attending, those residents who are thinking about doing something similar. Let's say they have the ability to get a property. Let's not worry about whether it's high end, low end or what have you, but let's just say they're mm-hmm. wanting to do Airbnb and they're looking for some recommendations from someone like you. What will be some of your top three, let's say your top three recommendations that you would give for you know, one of these people to start? Sure. So if you've got an area in mind where you would like to do this, number one thing to do is you can start with like a very simple Google search you know, and look up short-term rental regulations in Destin, Florida or New York City or wherever it is that you think you're going to do it. Start off with that and get familiar with what the regulations are in that particular area, that particular city, because you don't want to do anything that's illegal. If you're going to be in a market where things are illegal or there's a lot of heat from the city, then it's probably not going to be worth your time. Yeah, there's probably still a lot of municipalities that are going after, but still them and Airbnb aren't playing nice. So it's good to look that up. Yeah. Yeah, you got to look that up. Number one, look up the city and figure that out. Number two is if that is kind of a green light, you can use a company like airdna.co and really dig into the analytics of that particular market. And they'll give you data there. Like, so they have a letter grade for each market and they'll, you know, what kind of rental demand is there? Is it growing? What kind of occupancy is there in that area? What are the prices? They'll give you a letter grade. They'll give you average occupancy rates. They'll give you average daily rates. And you can really drill down by size of property as well. They actually have a feature which I think is pretty decent where let's say you found a house on Zillow or Redfin or whatever your favorite real estate app is. You can actually go into AirDNA and put in the address and put in the number of bedrooms and how many people you think it'll house in an Airbnb and they will spit out an estimate of the gross revenue for the year. Oh, wow. And Damn. Because they have so much data. So what yeah. they'll do is they'll make a circle around that property and they'll look at all the other Airbnbs that are in the area. And you know it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be 100%. It'll give you a decent floor of what it can make. I'm a believer in do what you can to be in that top 5 or 10% because you can command a higher rate. And that's where a lot of the like really nice profit is made. But doing a conservative analysis like this can give you an idea of like, hey, what is this property likely going to make on Airbnb? And then you can take that and you can compare it to you know, what the purchase price would be. Like we mentioned earlier, do an analysis of what that property will do as a long-term rental. If Airbnb goes away, can you rent that property mm, that's a good one. to a regular tenant and still at least break even plus like 100 bucks? If it does that, then you know that if either you don't want to do Airbnb or it becomes illegal to do it, you have another exit strategy. You have another pivot. And you're not going to be left stranded having to sell the property or something like that. So I think those are good places to start. You know, it's important to buy it the right way. And I think right now is a really interesting time because there were COVID and so forth. I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of questions out there that are not being answered or just hard to answer right now. So it sounds like you're about to go into it. Sorry to cut you off. No, 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 no. Yeah. The thing is, every Airbnb market is kind of its own niche and it is highly specific. So I'll give you an example. We're in Texas and Texas opened up May 1st. And when COVID started happening and Airbnb basically created their extenuating circumstances policy and basically refunded, you know, they basically went over the host and said, Hey, I don't care what your cancellation policy is. If anybody booked their Airbnb, they're getting their money back if they book between such and such dates. And so 
like overnight, a lot of hosts lost thousands of dollars in booking, including us. And a lot of hosts were over leveraged, meaning they had maybe 10, maybe 20, maybe more properties, and they did not carry a lot of cash reserves in case of emergency. So may not be able to pay mortgages and so forth. Mm -hmm. Because all of their income went away and now they're being prevented from renting, you know, on their probably where they were getting most of their bookings, Airbnb and VRBO. And so I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are either going to convert those to long-term rentals or they might lose their properties. So I think it's actually, this is a good time to really learn this because I believe when everything kind of normalizes, some of the Airbnb supply is not going to be there. And when there's not as much supply, then you know, the prices will go up until that supply gets there. Every market is specific. You know, we were able to recover. Like May for us has been like pretty much normal. We took a hit in April. We took a hit in like in the second half of March. And May is like pretty much close to normal. But I know that there are other cities where there are rules that, you know, shelter in place rules are still in place. And Airbnb has not turned on the faucet. Like you cannot book. Even if there's demand, you cannot book in those markets right now. So those people are hurting and they're having to come up with all sorts of creative strategies to either stay afloat or turn to long-term rental, what have you. But I think it's a great time to learn right now. I think for the young attendings out there who are listening, I think the key things, and you delineated it perfectly, like there's plenty of technology out there right now to at least simulate what it would be like if you were to get this property and how well it would do on Airbnb. And there's really no reason to not take action, right? So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate your standpoint on this and your perspective, because this is a really great example, literally going from using it for assisted living to now, you know, one of your properties, you're making over six figures. You know, the big thing also, I think that people need to understand is that this is hospitality based as opposed to just kind of cash and hold and buy and hold type of situation. So let me ask you a question. If you got a chance to kind of go back and the knowledge that you've gained now, but go back and do this again, is there anything that you would do differently, you know, with Airbnb starting out? Other than wishing that I had started sooner, (laughs) that's probably the only thing, you know, because it took me a while to have this come across my radar and do it. But no, because the other thing that immediately came to mind is scaling up faster, but you've got to play defense too. You know, a lot of the people who scaled up way too fast and didn't have the appropriate cash reserves are hurting a lot right now. So not really. I think we learned from our journey and I think going through the assisted living part of it you know, set us up for our first one. So I wouldn't necessarily change that. So yeah, just learn from every opportunity that comes and don't get stuck in something like, you know, if you need to pivot, be willing to pivot and just look at it as a learning situation. Don't keep that from keeping you from taking action. Well, the cool thing too, is that it looks like this hasn't put a sour taste in your mouth, at least with COVID-19, you're continuing to still press on. Do you think there'll be a time when you'll pivot to just a traditional rental type of uh, situation? Or do you think you're just going to ride this as long as it goes? I've got a certain monthly cash flow in mind that I would like for this to provide. And I think once we hit those numbers, then it'll be a reassessment. You know, and I'll have to sit down with my wife and think of, you know, where do we want to go from here? Do we want to just use the cash flow just to pay down our properties? Do we still want to grow? Do we want to pivot to something else? But right now, like I've found that I enjoy this very much. I have found recently that I enjoy teaching this, which I wasn't sure if I was going to, but... Uh um, Sounds like a coaching program or at least a podcast. We both had talks (laughs) in uh, Peter Kim's uh, virtual summit. And, you know, my talk there was about short-term rentals and the incomes that we've produced. 
And I had sent out some feelers like, you know, in the past year about people being interested in a course or something like that. And I'd gotten some positive feedback, but you know how it is, you're busy. And I just hadn't taken any action on it. And after that interview, Peter gave me like a nice gentle nudge. And he was like, Hey, man, like, just do it. I sat there for like 10 minutes after recording with him. I was like, you know what, he's right. And I just need to see if there's an interest. So I put out a podcast episode. And I sent out an email to people who follow me. And I said, Hey, if there's anybody out there who's interested in this, let me know. And you know, my podcast is not about short term rentals. It's more about doctors like yourself and other people who are doing interesting things. And for me, the Airbnb is kind of one way that I'm kind of out of the box. I just put it out there. And right now I've got, you know, students in the beta version of my course. And I'm finding that I'm really enjoying that aspect of it. And I have somebody who's interested in coaching. So I'm going to meet with that person next week. And we'll see if it's a good fit. And so I'm finding that I really, really enjoy talking about this stuff and teaching other docs. You know, I think it's a way for us to more rapidly build cash flow and wealth. And, you know, one thing that I can report, maybe I'll report back later is right now I'm going through a cost segregation analysis for my properties. And what that means, hopefully, is that I will be able to write off a lot of my anesthesia income. It's already been helpful just the way it is right now. But basically, that analysis will allow you to take a lot of depreciation up front. And if it's going to work the way I hope that it's going to work, then I think I'll be able to really legally lower my tax liability close to zero. So if that happens, then you can imagine, you know, how quickly we'll be able to scale up a lot quicker and probably hit those numbers. And then, you know, we'll see what the next step is after that. Boom. Well, that's awesome, man. Congratulations. And congratulations on pivoting. Congratulations on the success that you're having with Airbnb. Congratulations you know, on your course and taking action and congratulations on being on the uh, growth and leverage. Forget the, I think it's leverage and growth summit. Yeah, likewise. Definitely good to hear your talk and definitely good to hear a whole bunch of different people's talk. And this was good. I think that a lot of people will learn from this episode from you. So I appreciate you kind of delineating all the things and the steps and some of the differences that, you know, someone who is interested in this has to be concerned about in comparison to just having a traditional renter type of relationship. So Dr. David, man, thank you so much. So listen, if people want to learn more about you, if they want to follow you, how do they do so? If they want to figure out more about me and what I do and stuff, they can check out doctorsunbound.com, either, you know, by checking into the podcast or going to the website. You know, one thing that I put together for that summit, and I'd love to make it available for your listeners too, is like a quick two-page handout on, you know, five reasons to add short-term rentals to your investment portfolio. And honestly, this has moved so fast. Usually people have like a fancy landing page to send people to get it. I don't have anything like that set up at this point. So if people just want to email me, doctorsunbound at gmail.com and just tell me, hey, I listened to you with Dr. Nee and I want that handout. You know, I'll send you that handout and I'll let you know the next time the course is available. Awesome. Boom. There it is. Dr. David, thank you so much for coming on Docs Outside the Box. Listen, keep us updated on how you're doing with your Airbnb and if you decide to take on more. And obviously, people, I'm sure, will reach out to you to find out about your free gifts. We definitely appreciate it. Yeah, Dr. Nee, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. We got to meet in person in Philly. Gosh, I don't know how many, it seems like, I think it's almost a couple of years now. So it was cool to meet you in person. I love your podcast. And it's been an honor to be a guest today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.